everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I am Liz Beauvais and we have a special guest with us here today. Throughout our podcast, we've talked through both our own personal experiences as rare disease patients. And we've also had another guest previously, Rosie, who also shared her experiences. But we thought it would also be good to give the experiences of a parent who has a child who has a rare disease. So today we have with us Jen and her son, Will, has a rare disease. And she's going to share with us today a little bit about their journey and what has helped them cope with their rare disease and grow acceptance and really just a little bit more about their own story as a family and her views as a parent. So Jen, if you could go ahead and give us kind of a a story or whatever you feel like would help the listeners get to know you guys best. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm very excited to share Will's story and he's very excited that I'm doing this. Um, Basically, it's been a very long journey, so I'm going to summarize briefly and give you just an overview of what we've been through over the past couple years. Willow was born with a lymphatic malformation on the right posterior triangle of his neck, which was treated uh, at three months old with a bleomycin injection, which worked beautifully. Uh, We were followed very closely for three years after that, and there was no reoccurrence, so it was determined that everything was going well for him and that we could just relax and go about our lives. So we were followed up yearly after that and nothing of note came up and he was a very healthy boy, he had a very healthy childhood. And if he got sick with anything, he really bounced back quickly, which was great as a parent. I had no real concerns about his health, but I did know that something was different about him. He occasionally had a smell to him. He had um, back pain, unexplained back pain. He looked different than his siblings. He was thinner. Um, He had dark circles under his eyes that were unexplained. He slept very well. And I went to my doctor a lot about this. And uh, I was told that I needed to stop worrying. I was worrying about the way he was born and that everything was fine and he was healthy. So we continued on our life and he developed normally. But in fall of 2019, uh, pneumonia was going through our house and he got very sick with it. And he ended up in the hospital with a bacterial pneumonia and a septicemia. And he ended up in the ICU. And from there he never recovered. And what happened was uh, the fluid in his lungs never fully went away. So the next few years, we were in and out of hospital with chest tubes because this fluid kept reoccurring and it would get to a point where he couldn't breathe anymore and they would have to drain some of that fluid off. And they couldn't figure out why it wasn't clearing up. So in June of 2020, during one of his hospitalizations, they started suspecting um, some type of lymphatic involvement because the fluid in the lungs was looking chylus in nature. And so they thought, okay, you know, he was born with the hygroma and now we have this fluid that's not going away. This is, I think, the path we're going down. So without a clear diagnosis, we began a drug trial and um, in conjunction with a zero fat diet, which was pretty hard for a young boy going on zero fat, but he did it. Um, Six months into that diet, he developed severe leg pain and we couldn't figure out why. So he couldn't walk anymore. He was up all night and he, was, he had a script for morphine. 
and we thought we better investigate this. So we started investigating it and he ended up with a diagnosis of avascular necrosis of the hip. And we went down the whole path of physio for the AVN, which sub he turned out he did not have. In March of 2021, we read his chart and in the chart, it said he had a generalized lymphatic anomaly. And we said, what's that? So we Googled it and we said, oh no, <laughs> this does not look good. So at this point, we asked for a transfer to a bigger institution where they had seen a handful of patients like Will. And we also started talking to hospitals in the US because we knew the US had dedicated lymphatic centers because just based on their population, they had more patients that they could treat with this. So they had these centers and we moved to our bigger institution. And one of the first things our doctor did for us is take Will off this low fat diet or zero fat diet. And this was one of the best things for him, both physically and mentally. And from coming off the diet, his leg pain disappeared. And we're not sure if it's related at all, but since coming off that zero fat diet, he has had no leg pain, which is phenomenal. The diagnosis of AVN is not at all part of his um, journey anymore. Uh, the MRIs have shown there's no AVN, which is great. Um, and our docs now um, have been liaising with the docs in the States very closely, and they've come up with a treatment plan for Will. They both worked really well together. And um, we think we are on the right path with him now with being on three different chemo drugs in two years. We've just started a new one and it seems to be showing little improvement. So our fingers are crossed. We're, we're in a good way right now. Um, I think with all of that brief overview, our major challenges have been a lack of knowledge because of the rarity of the disease. And especially in Canada, because there's so few of us to begin with, and our population is so much smaller than the US that it's just unknown. And people uh, don't know how to treat it or diagnose it. And it becomes a diagnostic odyssey that you're on with your family, trying to figure out. And you're met with a lot of I don't knows and blank stares and where should we go with this? And one of the things that we hope can come out of this is education um, for medical professionals in that um, when Will had his hygroma removed at the beginning, they could have harvested some of those cells and genetically tested it and perhaps saved him a lot of these drug trials that he's been on, right? We could have had targeted therapy right from the beginning, but it's because the disease is so rare, that's not even a thought in a lot of people's heads, right? So just bringing awareness, hey, if a child is born with a lymphatic malformation, maybe we keep a database of those patients. And if we do any interventions on that malformation, let's just gather a few of those cells and see what we see. And if it's nothing, phenomenal. And if it's something, let's help, let's move on it, right? Um, yeah, so that's just uh, a little bit of our intro story. Something that really stood out to me from the beginning of you expressing your story is kind of like the motherly instinct that something was wrong. Can you tell me more like from your perspective as mom, how did you cope with that emotionally? It was really hard not being listened to and constantly being told, you know, just, just relax, just calm down, mom. 
everything's fine, but I knew it wasn't fine. And you just know as a mom, it's hard to explain, but it, he was just different and I couldn't pinpoint it. I'm not a doctor, I don't know. Um, but I knew that he wasn't quite right, if you wanna say it that way. Um, but the doctors didn't know either. And then I started thinking maybe I was just being overreactionary and maybe I should just calm down. Um, but it, something didn't sit right with me. And I, I didn't know what it was either, but I was just reaching out for help and no one could offer that help. Yeah, it's definitely a common thing a lot of us have dealt with, right? Where you get to a point in your journey where you begin to question, like, is this just me? Or, right. you know, should I kind of let things go a bit? It's a hard, it's a hard thing to process. I guess I'm curious from being a patient perspective of a rare disease. I do want to know more just about your perspective of things and just kind of like what you felt maybe you wanted to control more out of the situation as a parent? Um, That's a very loaded question. (laughs) Um, I wanted to control everything. I just wanted to fix him. I just wanted so badly to make it better and I couldn't. And I think one of the things in accepting this disease and accepting the journey that our family is on is that it's out of our control and it's out of um, the doctor's control to an extent as well. There's so much more we have to learn about this and to learning to um, live within the parameters that surround us because there are limitations on what we can do. But um, I just, as a mom, wanted to make it fine. And I wanted to be able to answer Will's questions and I couldn't. And that's one of the hardest things too, all the time, all the questions that remain unanswered for him, you know, but I think what I'm trying to do is help him cope with um, working through the uncertainty and working through the unknown, because this is part of his life now. And this is, there's going to be a lot of unknowns in the future for him. And how can he best cope with that um, as a child and then into adulthood? So one thing that we've talked about in some of our past podcasts is this feeling of trying to get control back and how it's a struggle and you may have control in one point of your life and then it changes because you have a different conversation with a doctor or something's different with your disease. Um, As a parent, what have you worked with Will on to help him understand this a little bit better and help him accept it a little bit more? I think the the main thing is teaching him to be fluid and to continually evolve in whatever situation he finds himself in. So for example, um, he used to play hockey and he used to be on the travel soccer team and he used to um, sports, 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 high energy. He could run for miles and now he can barely walk up a flight of stairs. So the lung capacity isn't there, but he loves the sport. So we found this amazing program in our area called Volt Hockey. And basically it's a little go-kart and he sits in a go-kart with a little hockey stick at the end. And he's able to play the sport he loves without overexerting his lungs. So he has the the feeling of being on a team and he's doing an activity that um, he's grown up with. And um, we also enrolled him in scouts which wasn't even on our radar before because we were so busy with all the sports and it has been phenomenal. 
the the kids that he's met they've been so accepting and welcoming um the the leaders have been amazing and and the activities that they, that they do they're always inclusive of him and they work within his limitations and he just loves going and and having that sense of connection with other people so it's it's learning to adapt to wherever he is in his day to day and to never put a barrier up and okay this isn't working let's find something else there's always going to be something else and if we don't know what it is then we'll research it and we'll find it because there's always a way i love that i think it absolutely is kind of what we have to do. I think we evolve that way to learn that that's like our way of thinking, but I think rare disease patients, we just deal with so much loss and we can view it as loss or we can view it as change and we can evolve and we can try different things. And, um, you know, some stuff we're into now, we maybe never thought that we would be, but then it ends up being a really, truly wonderful thing, which is awesome. Um, can you tell us more about, And I know that this is probably, you know, for some people, um, everybody has different experiences, but can you tell me how your family was able to come together and work through some of this as a family? Yeah, that's also a hard question. Um, I think the big thing is, so we have four kids um, ranging in age from three to 12 And the big thing for us is um, being there for them and open to talking about it and not pretending that it doesn't exist and to answer their questions as best we can. And there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of um, unanswered questions still, but listening to their fears and um, just being available to explain things to them because they don't understand when Will goes into the hospital, they, they're not allowed to visit him because of COVID. So there's a huge separation there. And so they don't know what's going on day to day. They don't know what he looks like in the bed. They don't know what procedures he's undergoing. So there's a lot of questions like that. When is he coming home? Will he get better? Um, so that, that's really a huge part. And also this, um, we started a foundation Um, for Will and for kids like Will and giving them a role in that foundation. So it's not just all about Will because I think the big thing is we have to keep our individuality and we have to honor each of our children as individuals and maintain their interests and their hobbies and their sports, but also bringing them into what doesn't define our family, but what is a huge part of our family and making them feel involved in that. So for the foundation, Our two boys are the youth community engagement officers. And all they have to do is go out and tell their friends, hey, we're having a barbecue or hey, we're doing this, do you wanna come? That's their role. And my daughter is the um, youth artistic director because she has many opinions on what's right and what's wrong. So she keeps us in line of, you know, making our posters, I want this pink or I want this, this, like this. So. yeah, just keeping them um, engaged and to make them feel special and still part of the family and giving them their own things, their own sports. They still have their own sports, their own friends, their own communities. But when we come together, we're a family and we're open to talking about it. It, it is part of our life, but not defining our life. And I think what you just said there is very important. It's a part of your life, but it doesn't define you. You can still have your activities. They might be a little bit different, a little bit 
maybe not what you expected them to be when you imagined them. But it's important as a rare disease patient and as a family to be able to figure out what is your life outside of the doctor's appointments, outside of the stress and the worry, because we can all get bogged down in that stress and worry, but that's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the family. Um, So really finding a way to still be, find out who you are around the rare disease. Exactly. And I'll just add to that, that when in the beginning, when we first found out about the disease and it was so unknown to us, we immersed ourselves in the research and we reached out to anyone and everyone we could to try and understand it. And at the beginning, it consumed us for, for quite a bit. And, and we said, hang on, what are we doing? We have three other kids and they're very important too. And we have to take a step back and we have to look at us as a whole and how can we move through this as a whole. And I know a lot of um, other rare disease parents that I've talked to have had that struggle where they just focus on the rare disease and it becomes only what they are. And we didn't want to have that happen to us. So we stepped back and then brought everybody in and worked through it together, which was so much better. And I think it's hard. Um, as a rare disease patient, I still find myself going down those Google searches. And when you realize you're 10 pages in on a Google search, you've probably gone a page too far. But it it really is good that you need to take a step back and really stop and think, is this really helping me? Or is this just making the worry a little bit more? So you mentioned the foundation that you had started. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about it and where you are in your journey of starting the foundation? Yeah, sure. Um, So this starting this has been a real struggle for my husband and myself, um, just because we're very private people and we don't share a lot of our lives with um, anyone but close friends and family. And we basically put our story online, which is very foreign. Um, it's nice in the sense that we don't have to rehash the story again and again. Um, and, and it gives some explanation to what we've been going through as a family, because if we don't talk about it, how do you know why we haven't been at these events or why Will's missing from school still and, you know, what we've been going through amongst COVID. Um, and so that's been really hard, but we look at it that we're trying to do it for the greater good of these patients and especially within Canada because the support network here is so small. So we're trying to build that up and create that amongst patients themselves and amongst the medical community too and sort of bring everyone together and create um, a medical home for these patients, which we, we don't have. Um, so it's been months and months of paperwork, but we're finally up and running. And we are online and um, starting to plan some events and hopefully um, get momentum going, not just in um, monetary donations, but just to create awareness. We really want to make people aware of the struggles, not necessarily of the complex lymphatic anomaly community, but rare disease in general, and just bring awareness to our local community and then see where we expand from there. That is so amazing to hear. And I think Liz and I can absolutely relate to you on every level about us being public about this. It's something we hesitated with and kind of went back and forth of like, oh my gosh, we're putting this on the internet. Like everybody has access to it, but 
there's that other part of it where one, it's like part of acceptance for us. Like that's been a huge thing for me to like allow other people to know how I'm feeling about that and just my journey. But also it creates like this community, this awesome community of people who can relate to one another and connect. And um, it's really special. And I know that there's so many people that are going to connect to you today. I think sometimes parents get missed and, and the emotional toll can get missed on parents because you're in that mode of like, I just need to make sure my baby's okay. Um, and you know, your journey is just as important as everybody else's. So I do want to hear, like, this is a question we ask all of our guests, what makes you and will not feel so rare? I love that question. Um, I did ask will this and I wrote down what he said. So I would say it properly. So for Will, he said, being at home with my family and friends because they treat me like Will. When he's at the hospital, they only know him as being sick Will. And that's not me. I'm different. I'm Will. And just being treated like the guy he is, right? He looks different than he used to. He um, can't do the same things he used to, but he's still the same guy deep down. And he just wants us to be, to be treated like, well, so that's how he feels not so rare. And um, for me, it's reaching out to a community such as yourselves and um, the other rare disease parents and to engage with that community. I think it's so important. I used to sit back and I would creep all the boards and I would just read and I would just, oh yeah, that's me too. But I would never say anything. And the more I put myself out there and the more I interacted with that community, it made me feel not so alone. And there might only be a handful of the CLAs that I know about, but this whole rare disease community across all the diseases, we're so big. And we face a lot of the same struggles, even if we don't have the same diagnosis, right? So it's interacting and engaging actively with that community has helped both my husband and myself with this journey. I agree. And Jen, I know it's been probably about a year now since we started interacting through some of these message boards, but I, I really appreciate your insights that you've given to us and your support, both with our diseases as, and as well as as we've been getting this podcast going. It's been very great to have someone in our community who helps understand what we're going through. And I really appreciate the support that you've given to both Taylor and myself throughout this journey. Yeah. And I just want to give a huge thank you to Jen and also to Will um, as a, you know, peer rare disease patient. I think that, you know, when we started this podcast, we were thinking like, okay, it's going to help our, you know, disease community of our particular diagnosis. But we're like, there are so many more people out there that we want to reach. We want to reach just the whole community as a whole outside of our disease. And, um, we're just so thankful anytime a guest can come on and share their perspective. So I want to say thank you again. And this has been the not so rare podcast. Thank you.